The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As spiritual seekers, we often receive guidance on which path to follow. This might be necessary for some time, but as we move along, we need to trust our heart and become our own guide. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, a place where we can listen to everyone's heart. Your companion on the journey is Jill Asselin. Come join us now on this path of inner exploration. Here is your host, Jill Asselin. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jill. Um, bonsoir à ceux qui écoutent depuis un pays francophone. Good evening to those listening from a, a French-speaking country. And again, thank you very much for being here today or tonight and, uh, and for listening. And um, I really appreciate your, your presence, your, your vibrations in a sense that I can, I can I receive them. So, and I send mine in return. So thank you very much. This is uh, July 2nd, the beginning of a new month, the beginning of a new period, I guess. It's the second half of the year, so we are, we are merging into something else. Um, it's like the tipping point has been uh, passed. We're at least in another hemisphere. We are getting towards uh, less light during the day, shorter days in a sense. It may not be quite... Um, visible yet but we are and on the other hand in the southern hemisphere i'm sure our friends are there looking for more light and more warmer days so i wanted to start uh, today i'm going to be talking about um sadness and fear or fear and sadness and i received some stuff you know like i usually do yesterday and this morning a friend of mine emailing me uh, through facebook out of the blue so it's um it's good. I'm very appreciative. At the same time, I wanted to say a little something in terms of my own spelunking and, and um, what goes on in my life. I had a very, very strange night. Um, nothing to do about dreams, but more like a physiological slash, you know, what's the spiritual there? That's my question. That's my spelunking. So that's what I wanted to do to share my my questioning, my spelunking with you, because it's what I think this show is all about, to do this on your own and to explore and, and, and go into different ways and, and, and maybe get answers and don't get answers. Sometimes we don't get answers. I think what really matters is the questions we ask, the questions we send out to the universe. So what happened is like yesterday afternoon, I took a walk with our son. Uh, again, he's uh, almost five years old, so he's pretty alert. He was riding his bike, his tricycle, and we went around the neighborhood. First, we stopped at a playground, a playground nearby, which is about 10 minutes from here. And for whatever reason, he didn't want to say much. There's a lot of things to do, swings and, and all these kinds of um, attractions. But today wasn't the, yesterday wasn't the day, apparently. So after about 10, 15 minutes, we left and we roamed around the neighborhood on his bike. 
and I was following him closely because uh, we never know. <laughs> and then at some point, he decided to go left, a different direction, and we were heading towards uh, a train station. We have a train station not very far from here, maybe 20 minutes walking distance. So it's pretty close, but when you follow a five-year-old, it's, you, know, you have to be um, pretty attentive. So we got there. It's near. There's first uh, an office complex to cross. So we crossed the parking lot. We got to the train station and all of this, and we started watching the train. So everything went well, much longer than I expected. I think altogether it took us at least at least two and a half hours. And when I got home, I could feel that I was just burned out or exhausted. Um, I took a gym class, something I haven't done in a long time. I took a gym class on Monday, and maybe that's the after effects. I took a Pilates class, and I was really, really exhausted. I needed uh, some time to to relax and recover uh, after my shower, so I, I lie down on the bed. And that was fine. I had dinner. I was very hungry. And, um, and then I went to bed. And strange thing, which again is a physiological thing, but almost every 45 minutes or every hour, I got woken up by cramps, cramps in my legs and uh, in the front, you know, the bottom part of my legs, but the front side, obviously, in relation to the walk and to our roaming in the neighborhood. And um, I wasn't so surprised, except that I had to, you know, it was painful enough so that I was... uh, got awakened, and I had to walk around the house to, to get rid of those cramps. And I, that happened every 45 minutes to an hour. So it happened, I went to bed, tried to go to bed early, on, early like around 10 o'clock, and then like around 11, around 12, 12.30, and then it went on. And then I think about 2.30 in the morning, our son, we had to take him to the bathroom, and... Um, that was another reason to be uh, to be awake at two thirty in the morning, and then, as uh, so-called chance would have it, at seven a.m. he started whis- uh, blowing his whistle. He has a whistle in his room that he likes to play from time to time, and at seven a.m., poop, 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 poop. So up I got. Uh, when he's awake, I mean, there's no way you could stay in bed. I guess it's just uh, the way things are. Um, that's the way energy goes, and it's uh, it's good to know. It's 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 pointless to stay in bed or to try to put him back when it's morning, when it's nighttime. So all of this to say that um, I wasn't feeling very very clear this morning, like uh, like there were trucks uh, racing in my head. It's a little better now after our lunch and um, a bit of a, a drink. But um, again, you know, and on the physical, physical, physiological side, I mean, obviously this kind of thing is due in, in my body, you know, possibly a lack of magnesium. And I took some last night, I took some today, so to try to rebalance things. I've been talking about balance, so obviously we need to take care of the, the balance in our, in our temples, in our bodies in the first place. But then I thought to myself, you know, this is... This is fine. I go out for a long walk. I get tired, uh, dehydrated also when I came back, obviously. And uh, there are symptoms down the road. But what about, what about the spiritual? You know, I, I was really questioning that. And um, I can't tell. I can't tell. It may be a sign. I like, you know, I like to look at signs and because signs can be very, uh, very telling. They could be revealed. They could reveal a lot. And... Uh, if this is a sign and if there's a message somewhere, um, I haven't gotten the message yet. But um, 
again, it's something which is noticeable enough um, because it's really the first time it happens to me so, you know, so regularly, like almost every 45 minutes on an hour, I have to wake up and get rid of those cramps. And the first one was the left leg, the second one in the right leg. It went on and on from leg to leg. And I never woke up with cramps in both legs, which is very interesting too. It was one or the other, but not both at the same time. And both, I mean, all the time was, you know, cramps in the bottom part of my legs. Obviously, the muscles that I'd, um, that I'd been walking in the afternoon. So that's my sharing, my, my spelunking of the day. The, the message is out, so to speak. Uh, my question is, um, I don't know if my question is on the back burner. I'm not expecting any answer. And sometimes, you know, you get answers only down the road at some point when you expect them least. And I think it's very important then to start connecting the dots, to start making connections between this and that. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. But um, in retrospect, I think that's my experience. You can understand so much about what happens in your life. And again, the retrospect can be a month, six months, a year, 10 years. I've been talking and I will be talking a little bit more about my dark night of the soul today because I could feel a lot of sadness coming out of my life. And uh, this has been 24 years. And again, I think I mentioned that before, but maybe about three or four years ago, I learned about the concept. I didn't know about this, besides, you know, this, besides um, despite the fact that a person like John of the Cross or Eckhart Tolle have been talking about, and many other um, sages have been talking about this concept and the church, of course. Uh, for ages, it didn't come into my my consciousness, into my visibility, I would say, for until four years ago. And, and that is, you know, this is mine or soul blowing. I don't know, but I think there was there was something obviously that needed to be. Um, I wouldn't say I'm, using, I'm moving my hands when I say that. Like something that needs to be perfected in your life. Something I, I go back to this idea of plowing the field that I touched upon five or six weeks ago, you know, something needs to be plowed, something needs to be seeded, and so the soil has to be ready for things to take root. And I think we don't realize how much time is needed for us to, to prepare the field and for us to accept what is willing to come into our lives and what is willing to be revealed into our lives. And... Um, that's the way things are, you know, you can't go faster than time. Um, I think we have an expression in French that you can't go faster than the music, you know, if you start playing faster than the other people in the orchestra, then you get uh, off key. And, you know, time has its own time in a sense. And um, so that's what I was reflecting briefly today. Um, Waking up at 7 o'clock with our son, I didn't get much time to, to do uh, meditation. And that happens on, on certain days and just uh, the way things are. Again, it's like life. So I wanted to talk today about, um, about fear and sadness in connection to the movie I mentioned last week. The movie um, Inside Out from Disney, which we watched about um, the day after it came out. So very pleasant movie, very... I described it last week, so I won't, I won't say much about it. Um, I just want to focus or zoom in into a fear and sadness because 
Last week, I think I pretty much talked about joy. Um, again, joy is such a, a joyous uh, person, so lively. And, um, and Disney is trying to make sure that joy is running the show most of the time until at some point she disappears with sadness, along with sadness. And uh, again, what I mentioned last week is very interestingly enough, uh, joy has blue hair. And, uh, and blue is the color of sadness. So what does this mean, you know? And at the beginning of the movie, it's interesting because uh, there's five emotions and um, all of them are described. And a little something is said about the emotion except for sadness. We don't know why sadness is around. Does that mean that sadness has no function? You know, we're talking about the Disney world, a Disney concept of of dreams. Um, I would say dreams and illusion. You know, you build such a wonderful world around all these dreams and these uh, personages and, and these characters. I mean, it's a beautiful world. But again, is it really the world that we live in? It's a world that we can ex- escape into possibly as much and as often as we want. But is it really a, a livable world? I think it's a good question, if, especially if it's a world when you know, so little importance is given to fear and sadness. The, the, the only description of sadness we had in the movie, like it's, it's a good fear, sorry, the only description of fear we have in a movie, it's a good fear you know, that prevents and you know, that protects uh, Riley, the little girl, from tripping, tipping over the, the wires, you know, and, in the living room or whatever, when she she was pulling some sort of a toy, I remember that the, the image. And fear is there, so that maybe fear from her parents as well, so that she doesn't um, touch the outlet and gets you know injured. So fear is there as a function, but again, the function is beautified, it, it is wonderful eyed in the Disney world, you know. Even though these emotions can be anger, disgust, fear, and sadness can be very challenging, the way they are presented is like the, they are all nice emotions. They are all smiley emotions almost. And they want you to believe that they, they can work together. But uh, is it true that joy and sadness are compatible? I mean, there's a reason, obviously, in the movie why they both uh, take on a trip together. And so it goes. And um, so again, the impression of fear I got from the movie that it was a very, a very rosy fear, a very, I have to say, it, a very superficial fear. Uh, it's not the image that comes to mind when I think about fear. I think there's many different levels of fear and many different origins. Um, there's fears, again, that protects us from danger. You know, yesterday, uh, at some point with my son, we came fairly close to a ditch in a, in a new residence. And um, I could see that if you were going to go you know, maybe a few feet, it would, it would be in danger. So there was something in me that stopped him and, and protected him. It wasn't quite fear because there was no imminent danger. But it's, it's something which is there. It's acting in a good way. It's, it's a proactive force. It could be a proactive emotion as well in, in, more, in more dire situations. But uh, this is not all about fear. And I, when, when I think about fear, I mean, there's so much about fear that seems to be irrational. And this is coming from our minds, obviously. And, uh, 
And the question, you know, that we may want to ask is, um, where is this coming from in our mind? Which part of our mind is sending the message of fear? Especially when it feels, um, it feels or it sounds, I don't know if it's a sound or just, uh, you know, the way an emotion goes, but so irrational. And I will, I will speak of my own experience because it's something I can relate to. Uh, the fear experience I have is one fear that has been with me for a long, long time. It's not quite there anymore, but it's the fear of being scolded. And the fear of being scolded when I'm late for dinner. At home back in my, in my French um, childhood, uh, that goes back 40, 45 years ago, we had very strict time. My mother was French or is French. Uh, she wasn't German, but um, just a little joke here, intercultural joke, but uh, Germans tend to be very strict when it comes to time. And uh, lunches were always at 12 noon and dinners always at 7 p.m. There was no, I mean, sometimes we weren't going out, but usually there was no discretion. Uh, it's always the case. And I've, so many, I've seen so many cases of my brother, or possibly I, you know, being scolded or being yelled at uh, because I would be coming, or he would be coming home late, maybe like 7.10, 7.15, 7.20. That this fear got ingrained into me at a fairly deep level. But this fear has no, has no ground except for my, you know, for my own experience. But I would still think that it's a totally irrational fear, especially when it follows me in my, in my adult years, you know. I've been living in the U.S. for a long time, and, and sometimes I wouldn't say that fear is very strong now, but at least the thought comes to mind that, you know, if we're not on time for dinner, uh, something's going to happen, and something which is not pleasant, and something which is, which is quote-unquote, tickling the little child in me. I can realize, again, I was asking a key question, where does this fear is coming from in our minds? What is the, the area or the entity in us that is being um, emotionally touched, emotionally challenged? I think it's very important to ask that question. You know, where does it come from? Okay, it comes from the mind, but I would say even what person in the mind? It could be the little child. It could be someone else. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean... Different people uh, function in very different ways. And so, um, I guess this is one fear I can relate very well. And um, sometimes also when I, when I see my brother reacting uh, towards my mother, my brother, again, is about eight years older than I am, I, I can sense that there's a, my brother is unwilling to challenge my mother at times, you know. When she says something, it may no longer be the case because my, mother, my mother's mind is not quite clear anymore. And then she, she moved into a retirement home about two months ago. So things have changed quite a bit. But I, I can see, I can feel sense in my, in my brother's uh, unwillingness to challenge my mother because she makes a decision. And then, you know, that's the way things are. That's the way we were brought up. And, and it, it, it conditions, you know, us in this case but just about every child in the world is being conditioned by what he or she meets in a very, in a very home environment, providing the child as a home. So uh, it's very important to go back to these days 
and to think about how these fears, providing you have a fear in your life or in the background of your life, uh, coming back from such a, an old and so-called precious time, you know, what is the function of that fear? And um, I received a very delightful, um, it's almost like a poem. So I would like to end this segment by, by reading this poem, and I, I may say a bit more about it um, afterwards, after the break. And it comes from my, I will start to call her my dear friend, um, Sarah Isabel uh, Mary Johansson. Whatever she writes, I connect with it very beautifully. There's something that rings so true. And so it's so harmonic in a sense. And um, she had a, a piece about intuitive traveling and a possible next destination, but it's not so much what caught my attention. She had a, in a blog, it's called um, Worlds of Comfort. Dot com. Uh, she had a, on the left column, she had a part called Wisdom of the Wick. And there was a beauty, it almost reads like a poem, even though it was followed by the poem of the Wick. I took her Wisdom of the Wick as the poem. And that's what it says. And if you can pay attention, the very last line, in a sense, tells it all. So it reads uh, Wisdom of the Wick. As this journey has begun, the grand awakening of humanity. We take one footstep at a time, forward. In love and utmost bravery, we are facing the shadow of our subconscious mind, being reunited with a part of ourself that has felt abandoned, rejected, and betrayed by a source. It is a path of allowing our higher God self to become the true parent to our inner child. Fear is nothing more than a sensation of a lost child that is seeking love. I will see you soon. Thank you very much. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jill Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Thank you very much for listening. Merci beaucoup. So in the first segment, uh, besides our stroll in the neighborhood yesterday, I was talking about fear and this, um, this nice fear that uh, Disney would like to convince us of. I mean, again, again, there's varying, varying levels of fear. But I think the fear, the kind of thing that deserves more attention is the fear that is coming from within, from a place deep within, from a spelunking place. That a place that calls for spelunking. That's where we need to get. And, and um, I was just reading a note by a friend of mine, Karen, who's been um, calling once. And she said it's, it's about letting go of that irrational fear. Yes, it is. But believe me, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, just letting go sounds like... Um, that's what we played yesterday afternoon with my son, our son. Like we, we had soap bubbles, and then you blow the soap bubbles out of the little uh, you know, plastic whatever, and then they go out in the wind. And it wouldn't be so, you know, so beautiful slash miraculous if a fear could go away like this. You blow a soap bubble, and you blow, you blow a fear bubble, and it goes up in the air like this, and then it bursts. And it bursts, you think it bursts into nothingness. Yes, I think that's the process. I think it's a beautiful metaphor. It's a beautiful um, vision. If you want to use that vision about seeing your fear dissolving into, dissolving into nothingness and reaching uh, nothingness is le néant in French. It's a very powerful word too. You know, that fear, again, being um, absorbed by what is what is and what we don't see outside of, outside of us, outside in the, our environment. You know, where does that bubble, that soap bubble, that fear bubble go? And um, again, I think it's a beautiful vision. And I may use it um, now that I anchor that vision in me and you know, letting go of that fear. It's not that I've done, you know, I mentioned that fear of being scolded. Um, again, something that I've been many, many years ago, and yet it got anchored, it got built in at the deep level within, and um, part of it may have been unconscious, and, and especially in my brother, when I look at him, it's always easier to look at someone else than to look within, and um, I can tell, and I, I, I can see in my brother, and maybe he can see it in me as well, but um, it's, uh, again, a very deep-seated emotion or feeling or whatever. But it's something that needs to be um, sought. You know, it's like the the seeking of something we want to remove. And when I look again at that beautiful sentence from uh, uh, Sarah Isabel, fear is nothing more than a sensation of a lost child that is seeking love. My questioning here is, all of it makes a lot of sense. My question here is, where is the child lost? You know, it's a lost child. 
So you would think that the child has no parent. Why is it that the child has no parent? And um, if I were to make a parallel here, I don't know if I'm finished talking about fear, I may come back to it. I also received uh, this morning a very nice quote about fear. But the lost child, you know, is, is the child really lost? I think that the word lost could be, could be replaced by unloved. Fear is nothing more than a sensation of an unloved child who is seeking love. It makes, you know, it makes a lot of spiritual sense. And what is love, you know, what is love in the eyes on the heart of a child? Obviously, we don't see things um, the way children do with their, their own awareness and consciousness, which is not so aware of a lot of things that we are aware of, but which is much more aware and much deeper than we are in terms of emotions and sensation. And I think back about my own, again, my own childhood. I was lost to the extent that I, I didn't think I was loved. You know, when you're being yelled at, when you're being scolded, when you are being reprimanded, when you are being punished. It's obviously unlove. It's obviously something else than love. And I mentioned earlier on my dark night of the soul, again, something that happened in school 24 years ago. And I was talking to someone about my feeling and what I was going through with a little of awareness that I had at the time. And what the person could hear is a lot of sadness in my life. A lot of, I was talking especially about my mother and what she did to us. And um, I couldn't see, I couldn't feel that sadness coming out of my life, but the person could, could see it, could hear it. And I said again that, you know, it's usually easier to hear or see another person when you're outside of that person than it is to hear it for yourself or for ourselves. And I remember these words very clearly, you know, I think it was a very important part of my uh, healing process, talking about my feelings, but talking about my childhood. And the person, a friend that I was talking to, you know, uh, was supporting me. I was very grateful for that. I'm still grateful for that. Could hear a lot of sadness when supposedly, I think you would have expected anger. Anger at, you know, being reprimanded, being scolded, being unloved, which was what's going on in the house. And yet, the, you know, the... Um, I wouldn't say the overall feeling. Maybe there was, if there was anger in, in, within the shell. I'm looking at the emotion as a shell, possibly a multi-layered um, shell. But what came out, the impression that it came out was a feeling of sadness. And sadness can, you know, can include um, a lot of fear as well. I think we, I've heard often that when you hit a big depression, it's usually the case, not all the time, but it's usually the case because there's a lot of anger bottled in. You know, the anger has been accumulated over the years and then the anger sits in whatever, in whatever function and position and receptacle. And then obviously your subconscious can't take it anymore. And then it needs a... It needs a vehicle. It needs a way to, 
to explode, to express itself. So I think it's a very, um, in this case, in my case, again, what I can refer to is a very complex um, process of you know, anger, sadness, and fear. They all come together. Obviously, the little child that I was, you know, when I was witnessing all these things, even though I wasn't a target of my mother's yelling, I absorbed quite a bit. And I may absorb anger. I mentioned also a while back, I mentioned guilt. And we don't see any guilt in Disney's movie. You know, this, maybe this emotion is too hard to deal with. Maybe this one is too destructive and we, we can't paint it as a, as a rosy emotion. Guilt is not quite... Um, what we would like to portray, what this movie is about. Um, because in the end, you know, it's, it's still a happy ending. It's still a, I mentioned the runaway bride the other day, it's still a happy movie to the end that all emotions get back together, the five emotions. And that Riley goes back home. She doesn't run away and she expresses her sadness to her parents and they hug. And, uh, it's beautiful. At the same time, it's not that simple. In her case, obviously, she had to say goodbye to her friends, to her life past in, in Minnesota, where she lived for about 11 years. But how do you say goodbye to an emotion that is so heavy within you? Uh, is it just a soap bubble, a soap bubble, a fear bubble? Feels so light, you know, it goes up in the air. It flies in the wind, all it seems. And then at some point it goes down. But perhaps, you know, again, it's going to explode into nothingness before it hits the ground. So, um, again, this is a very meaningful quote and not by accident. Again, it's, it's all about my experience. It's all about I relate to fear and sadness. And I realize it's only my own experience. Fear is nothing more than the sensation of a lost child, of an unloved child that is seeking love. So then, you know, my logical mind would say, you're seeking love, or we are seeking love, we are all seeking love in one way or another. And the question is why? Why? Because love is healing. Why? Because love is our true nature. Love is what the universe is made of. Maybe we turn things around a little bit with uh, the wars and the conflict that we've seen all around. But I think love is what the world is all about. Except there are so many veils or so many masks or so many barriers to get to it. But I'm sure that that's the direction we are taking. It's interesting also, I was reading a little... Uh, except of the blog that came into my mailbox this morning. Again, the timing is just what it's supposed to be. Um, it's coming from Glastonbury in England, a woman called Ashtara. And in terms of insights, you know, she writes a little, um, it's almost like a newsletter slash blog. It's a very, um, very different um, sequences. It's not like one or two paragraphs, but she has a section, different sections. She has one section called Insights. And it's interesting because this one came from China Sojourns, which could be a travel agency. I don't know what it is. But it says very nicely, the sadness and senseless violence we hear about in our daily news is derived from the fear of the unknown, 
the result of closed and unimaginative minds. I think I will read it again. The sadness and senseless violence we hear about in our daily news is derived from the fear of the unknown, the result of closed and unimaginative minds. And when I think about this, you know, what comes to mind is again a theme, a theme that I've been um, kind of playing with a lot, this theme of the, the divine feminine, the divine masculine, and the doing, which tends to be more masculine, and uh, the being, which tends to be more feminine. It's something that I talked about six or eight weeks ago. And, and um, I'm saying this because the feminine is more about getting to know people. It's about relationship. It's about, it's about connecting. And if we don't connect, if we don't make the effort to get to know people, then we are faced with a world of the unknown. And yes, the unknown brings fear. And that's the way governments brainwash us when they want to go to war. They paint this other country where people are just living like us, as the enemy, with so many bad people. Yes, there are bad people like in every other country, but it doesn't mean that the country is bad. So we have very little knowledge about this country called the enemy. And by blowing up this image out of proportion, we become fearful. You know, that's where these people are doing these kinds of things. They are barbarians and that kind of thing. I mean, it's the picture that has been uh, painted about Afghanistan. Uh, initially, when uh, the U.S. and uh, family Russia invaded Afghanistan, but um, I mentioned an excerpt in um, in the book *The Matter of the Mind*, when he talks about Afghani people welcoming U.S. soldiers into their home and greeting them with their hearts. So everyone on Earth, every human being has a heart. Every human being on Earth is able to open his heart or her heart. And once that happens, the unknown dies. The unknown starts to become a bit more familiar, a bit more welcoming. And that's what the divine feminine, the work of the divine feminine is all about. About, about building connections, about opening hearts, about holding hands. And this is... At the same time, it's very literal, but it's also a metaphor. You know, it could be holding hands between nations. And so that once people are united, the governments cannot go to war anymore because the people are not on their sides. That's the story we've been living for eons. I don't know how many centuries. And um, to close this chapter about fear... I'm going back to fear, but I wanted to read that quote um, earlier on. It's also something that I received this morning in my mailbox. So there's a purpose to it. And I wanted to leave this with you uh, right before the break. The, the heading is called Fear and Growth. In your moments of fear, your soul is expanding and growing. Give yourself time to sit with those moments and learn. They pass quickly if you allow them. Thank you very much.
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jeel Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Many thanks for being here today, for listening. I'm uh, appreciative again. Right before I got on into this, um, this last segment, and I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the cross-cultural perspective of, of, of sadness, you know, to what extent is sadness, um, quote-unquote, acceptable, or that's what's the title of the show today, uh, acceptable or valued in different societies or countries around the world. I wanted to mention a book that my friend Karen um, uh, gifted me with, in a sense. Uh, she sent it to me um, by email this week. The book is called The Gift of Fear. And if you think back about what I shared until now, I think Gift of Fear is a, is a very good title. It's a very uh, suitable title. Uh, so The Gift of Fear, Survival Signals That Protect Us from Violence is a non-functioning self-help book written in 1997 by Gavin DeBecker, The book provides strategies to help readers avoid trauma and violence by teaching them various warning signs and precursors to violence, all wrapped up in the gift of fear. So this might be a book of interest to you. I think I mentioned this idea of violence in the last quote from um, China Sojourns. And so, again, it's very hard to distinguish in my case. You know, I could see anger, sadness, and fear all wrapped up in the same, um, in the same bundle, in the same book, in a sense. And out of this, you know, violence is not far. And, and violence is what was, um, verbal violence, is what was inflicted on me, my brother, and my father. 
and and that gets transferred obviously you know it's it's a very it's a very heavy burden not every child i was in my early teens at the time can carry it and can deal with it you know successfully i mean it's it's understandable and understood that you know things will uh, will linger a while i mean they will um, they will sit in the back of our minds in in the anti chamber in a sense anti chamber of our minds and yes, they may, they, may, they may create some destructive behaviors, violence being one of them, abuse being another one. So we're dealing with, um, with very important emotions that are not just there to, you know, I don't know whether that's not come to mind, but to protect us only, you know, in a, in a wonderful world of Disney. I mean, I understand that the movie is for like um, young kids. I think it's a fairly good approach and it's pleasant to watch. At the same time, we are talking about very serious uh, things, you know, that can um, create um, a bit of a trouble down the road, you know, adult years. And again, you know, looking back at the unloved or the lost child, this made me think about um, the book by Bill Plotkin that I mentioned earlier on, maybe in February, um, Nature and the Human Soul. Uh, Bill Plunkin talks about the concept of the sacred wound that has been inflicted, um, that has been ingrained in us, in us, the child. Usually it takes, you know, takes place in our childhood and, and, and quote-unquote things come out of it and our behaviors are molded after this wound until one day we start looking into it and we start paying attention to what comes out of the wound providing the wound is not healed. And um, so many things. So I'm not going to say much about this because it's something that I very generously talked about already. But um, I wanted to, again, bring this, um, this segment about um, a cross-cultural perspective uh, of sadness. And... Um, I have a friend on Facebook um, called, as uh, a, a Quebecois, I think he's a Canadian, I'm not sure he's a Quebecois. His, his name is uh, Ronald Stéphane Gilbert. And uh, he emailed me this morning out of the blue. Obviously, he's invited to, the, to listen to the show, but I've never heard from him so far. And he was relating to this topic of sadness and fear, most likely sadness. And uh, his comment was very much to the point. I'm going to read it to you, but it's true that the conception... The perception and, and the way sadness is valued uh, varies across cultures. And one of the reasons for that, I think it's also because of the culture's past. You know, when, when countries have been going through very different, difficult times like wars, um, then people know what sadness and sorrow is. You know, you, you, you live in very difficult conditions. Uh, you lose members of your family. It creates a lot of sadness, a lot of pain. And, you know, if, you, if your country is occupied for five or six years, uh, and again, you're living in very difficult conditions, there's curfews at night, and, and you can't travel on your own, your freedom is restricted. And um, you know what sadness is all about. You know, you can't openly talk about joy. You can't just open up and it's saying that it's a wonderful world. The Disney way. So my friend said, um, sadness is not something that in my experience is typically acceptable in U.S. business 
or even in US social circles, particularly in the Midwest. He lives in the Midwest. Still, everyone in the US is, for the most part, required to do the happy dance. That is not so true in New England as it is elsewhere. You are allowed to be direct and irritated in New England. So even within the U.S., you know, there may be pockets or regions where, where sadness, because of the past, again, and because of what people have gone through, uh, where sadness is more accepted and more acceptable uh, to the populations. And, and, and again, you have, you know, in the popular culture, you have entities like Disney, and I'm, I don't know, I'm sure many more could come to mind. The happy-go-lucky, that's what the world I was looking for earlier on. The happy-go-lucky character that is there to cheer you up. And, and one experience that came to mind also when I wanted to talk about sadness is uh, an emotion, sadness, from, coming from my uh, colleague, Ruth. And she may be listening today or she may be listening in the future. So I remember one story about our own sadness um, that goes back a long time. I know she was attending a conference, uh, a cross-cultural uh, training conference in Prague in the Czech Republic. And the time might have been like 1994. So it was a long time ago, but it's when I really started to work in the US. And at some point during that conference, I don't know what happened, but she felt very sad. Maybe she had gone, gotten news that were not you know, good news or something happened. I don't know the details, but then, um, then she started sitting someplace and she started crying. And she was obviously, you know, acknowledging and honoring her own sadness. And someone came to her, I think, and said, you know, can I help you? Can I do anything for you? And I think her response was more or less to the fact that, no, she needed to feel sad. And again, it's a part of us that we need to acknowledge. It's a part of us which is very much alive, which is very much of who we are. If we don't acknowledge that, that us, that sadness in us or that fear in us, how can we go as a whole? Uh, how can we expect, you know, it's like we, we expect taking care of something and pretending it doesn't exist. If it doesn't exist in the first place, why would we take care of it? So it makes a lot of spiritual sense, you know, to acknowledge every little gift that comes to us. And, and considering sadness of fear or fear as a gift, it's not the same as saying that fear or sadness do not exist. I'm not trying to diminish, you know, the power of the emotion. And sadness, to be, to be honest, it's not something that I have felt for a long time, you know, at least for a few days or, or weeks in the past 24 years. During my dark night of the soul, yes, definitely. Um, I could feel something coming from a different place. And I think I understood after the fact that it's all the anger, all the sadness, all, all the being unloved, that had been accumulated for so many years. You know, at the time I was, I think, in my late 20s. So by the time I was at home and witnesses all that scolding and that yelling and all this chaos taking place, and by the time I came to the U.S. was at least 15 years later, so many things had happened within and so much had been unacknowledged and unhonored. And that something, that sadness, that anger that was bottled up eventually found a way to express itself.
and it created what it created. You know? It was um, a very uncomfortable situation, but it was also a very necessary one. So again, I think it's a way of looking at what happens to us and being grateful. And it reminds me again, before I read one last thing about my friend, um, a portion that I read from still from uh, Sarah Marie Isabel in uh, a post, The Journey of a Soul. She said in there, I've quoted this in the past two shows, but I'm going to quote it again. This is the first stage of the teaching of the unity consciousness to unite yourself with the dark and the light within you. To not reject the dark, nor the wound, by wanting to escape it, but to be completely present with it, by loving it and inviting it, no matter how unpleasant or uncomfortable. Again, it's a question of honoring, of so-called welcoming. What is us? We form a whole because of all the emotions that we feel. And it's, um, it's very important to to be aware of that and just try to deny the fact that, oh, no, no, this is happening, but it's like nobody noticed. It's all in the background. It's all in the backstage. I can deal with it. Maybe it's not very significant. And what if it is? And so here we are. So the, the last portion also, I go back and forth, but I think it, it fits well all together, this sadness and this fear and this perception of sadness and this tendency to deny uh, our emotions. The, the last point from my, uh, again, my friend, um, uh, Ronald Stefan, he talks about, he's traveled quite a bit around the world and he's been to Italy and France. And uh, he said, that is true. As I pointed out, the Italians live in a happy world as well, but it is largely based on acceptance of, face, of fate and indifference to it. This I can understand. The approach is we live, we die. Let's have fun in between. The French are more on the order of we live, we die. We can't help, but we agonize in between. But let's make the entire thing as elegant as possible. I think that this is my approach, frankly. Let's not even go into the German. God knows they came into France often enough. And... Um, it's true that, you know, I haven't had a chance to reflect on that, but there's a tendency in France, it's sort of a pessimistic tendency, and you tend to look at life, and you tend to look at things, it's like the, the, the glass is half empty, when in most cases in the US, the contrast is so sharp, you look at the glass and it's half full, so that, you know, when you talk about something, um, Oftentimes, and it's very much my mother, again, older generation, she went for the war. But to express a positive, she would use a double negative. And it's, you know, it's very much the case, I mean. And I was reading a book to our son called, uh, with a, I don't remember, a book about a bear and a cat. And at the same, they were baking a cake, a chocolate cake. And same thing at the end, they, they bake apparently a delicious cake. And the mother said to her child, it's not so bad. You know, the cake looked very good, looked great. And she said to her child, it's not so bad. So what I'm saying here also, and I've been saying this all along, is that we are being conditioned not only by our families, our parents, by, we're also conditioned by the cultures in which we grow up. 
And some cultures may teach us a condition us to be more happy than others. And some cultures may condition us not to be in touch with ourselves as much as other cultures. I don't want to make any kind of comparison in here, but I think it's very good if you can, you know, have a, a well-traveled perspective and talk to people from different cultures and countries about these emotions. The way these emotions are being acknowledged in the first place and in the second being valued and openly shown, I guess. There's a lot of... Um, I wouldn't say obstacles, but a lot of, you know, things that prevent sometimes the expression of those emotions. So thank you very much. Uh, the last thing I would like to say is that next week, uh, we're going to have another show with, my, with our brother Altair talking about um, unity consciousness. So thank you very much and have a, a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giel Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.